I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are keeping democracy alive. Check for pulse. Stand clear. Push to shock. America's fascists are those people who think Wall Street comes first and the American people come second. What we've really seen is a financial sector that's gotten out of hand, has much too much of a role in this country. What Putin is trying to do and what Trump is trying to do is undermine faith in our government. An absolute typhoon of terror against African Americans. There's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy that people don't feel that they can do very much. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. Growing up as a Jewish American, there was not the slightest question that as an American, my Jewishness was not only safe here as compared to the unspeakable horrors in Germany, which ended barely five years before I was born, but being a Jewish American was unquestionably welcomed. As uh, President Johnson said, the dignity of humanity. We are the land of the free, after all. It was understood that our government was one of all the people. Religious diversity made not the slightest difference. We all had equal rights. Fast forward to today. A recent article in The Atlantic is titled simply, American Jews are terrified. Why is that? Well, there have been mass killings of Jews as we worship in our sanctuaries. A kosher grocery store in Jersey City was murderously attacked. As, Jew- as Jewish Americans, uh, for the first time in my life, I too feel actual fear because I am Jewish. Since Trump took office, and especially since he called white nationalists and Nazis fine people, there is ample evidence that many uh, people feel free to make openly anti-Semitic comments. There has been a clear change in that. Either the sewer lid stayed on until just recently and the noxious ugliness uh, has long been there but just kept underground, or racist Trump intentionally has been pouring gasoline on the fire of anti-Semitic hatred mixed in with all his other racist hatreds. It's probably a combination of many things. The focus of this show is Trump's new executive order, which seems to say Judaism is not so much a religion, but is instead more of a nationality. His son-in-law and senior advisor to the president, Jared Kushner, wrote an op-ed in the New York Times recently defending the brand new executive order, which we're going to talk about, increasing the terror and fear Jewish Americans are now feeling when he declared, quote, and this is the article from Jared Kushner, anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. That, my friends, is very chilling. Hopefully, many people are aware that another head of state, well, in Germany back in the 1930s, also declared Judaism as something other than German, a different nation. What is terrifying that is that under the guise of fighting anti-Semitism, Trump perhaps directly enables it by equating criticism of the state of Israel with anti-Semitism. Many Jewish Americans, like myself, are, of course, critical of Israeli policies. We grew up with a foundation of ethics and justice and fighting against racism. As one who is directly and personally affected by this, of course, I could go on much longer. But let's hear from our guest, Alison Weir. Her new article, Trump Executive Order on, quote, anti-Semitism, unquote, combats criticism of Israel. 
Alison Weir, thanks for being with us once again on Keeping Democracy Alive. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Alison Weir is the executive director of If Americans Knew. I recommend that website, a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing Americans with information on topics of importance that are misreported or underreported in the American mainstream media. Boy, we sure need that. In February and March of 2001, Allison left her position as editor of Marinscope, a newspaper in Sausalito, California, a nice part of the world, to travel independent as, independently as a freelance reporter throughout Gaza and the West Bank. Upon her return, she founded If Americans Knew. She continues to research the issue intensively. Her library on the issue now includes over 100 books, and she recently returned from three months traveling through the West Bank, Israel, and the Golan Heights. If Americans Knew has completed seven in-depth statistical studies of U.S. media coverage of Israel-Palestine, releasing reports on the New York Times, Associated Press, major primetime news broadcasts, and other news media research that is increasingly cited by analysts on Israel and Palestine. Well, again, thanks for being with us. I know that was a long introduction, but it's something that touches me personally. Trump and Kushner say the new executive order is all and only about combating anti-Semitism. Its very title is Combating Anti-Semitism. What is it really? What's the genesis of this thing? Well, many people, many people have written that the the real purpose of it is to combat criticism of Israel. And as you note, Jared Kushner really pointed that out the, uh, in a, an op-ed in the New York Times the day after his um, father-in-law had signed the new executive order. So he pointed out that the executive order is... Um, largely adopting a definition, a new, newly fabricated definition of anti-Semitism, um, in which a number of examples are given to use in deciding if some action is anti-Semitic or some person is anti-Semitic. Uh, and many of those examples have to do with Israel and with supporting the international boycott against Israel over its human rights violations. So the the um, the executive order is really very openly a response to the growing support for Palestinian human rights and growing support for an international boycott of Israel, much like the international boycott of South African apartheid. Which but that's really at the core of of this um, executive order. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. And and uh, Trump obviously was not president when the uh, boycott of South Africa was happening. I can only imagine what he would do uh, to stop that. It was very effective and helped. It actually helped uh, end apartheid in South Africa. Go on. I interrupted. That's right. Sorry. That's right. So um, th there are a number of things about this executive order that I think should be noted in addition to the fact that it's so centered on really violating free speech rights, yes. and, and American rights to boycott. You, you know, people across the political spectrum in our country use boycotts against entities that they feel are doing things that they disagree with, that they oppose. And so, the, you know, a very um, common way and, and really valid way to oppose actions that you disagree are to withhold hold your money from that entity. So this is 
you know, something that falls under free speech rights, under the First Amendment, has been used by many groups for many reasons. And, uh, and yet now it's, it's under attack by Israel partisans because it's being used against Israel. Uh, the thing that's important about the executive order to notice is that it's, it's, a lot of people are blaming Trump for it. You know, many of us are unhappy with President Trump for many, I feel, valid reasons. Yes. But he didn't initiate this or, uh-huh. or originate what he's doing. This was um, really based on legislation that had been introduced in several years ago twice, both in the House of Representatives and in the Senate. And it had been supported by many Jewish Democrats, you know, who were co-sponsors of, of similar legislation. So pinning it on Trump is, you know, maybe politically uh, strategic, at least to those, you know, the polit- portion of the American public that opposes Trump. But it's not, you know, it's sort of missing the larger context of the, this, quote, anti-Semitism awareness legislation that has been, uh, was promoted in the Congress by many Jewish Democrats and, and others and Republicans it was by, by partisan, but it stalled. Yes. And they weren't able to pass it because of these valid right uh, considerations that it violates First Amendment rights. The ACLU noted that. A number of legal analysts noted that. Even one of the co-authors of the new definition that's centering anti-Semitism on Israel, even he noted that this was not to be used on, to limit free speech on, on Israel. So they weren't able to pass the legislation. Trump, uh, in a very partisan fashion, really, because he's under attack. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we know, he's now just been impeached. Yes, indeed. So he's reaching out to his you know, far right, and to Sheldon Adelson, who's mm-hmm. a billionaire who supports him. And so he used an executive order to implement legislation that had failed so far. That's, that's the, the crux of what just happened. He does seem to love executive orders and uh, the idea of democracy and a democratic republic just seems kind of foreign. And as you say, there have been attempts legislatively in the past, what was it, over the past three years or so? And, yeah, it's curious that there hasn't been much, if any, news about those, except maybe from, if Americans know, uh, about those. And and was there, did they almost pass? Were they just crushed? I, I don't actually know any of the history of that. They weren't crushed. They're still live. Um, they, they went to committee. So... Mm-hmm. Obviously, they're trying to drum up the votes to pass them, so they haven't been crushed. Uh, time ran out for the first time they were introduced, so then they were introduced again, both in the Senate and the House. Um, but I don't think they've been able to get the votes for them, so they just remain in committee, which seems to happen with legislation that right. you know, nobody can kill, but nobody can pass either. Mm-hmm. And, and you're right. A lot of the legislation, very significant legislation, for example... Um, the first bill of 2019, the very first Senate bill, was to give Israel a minimum of $38 billion over the next 10 years. That's, that's a significant bill. And yet the U.S. media didn't even cover it. About the only place you could read about right. it was on our website, if Americans knew. 
So it's not rare to not have, you know, to not be informed on these issues. And the power... The thing about, Go ahead. Well, I, I just want to make sure to mention that this executive order and the legislation are taking place in a far larger context that's been going on for many years. I've written about this in detail, and I think it's important to, to see the overall context of what's happening, because what's going on is, is very troubling, I think, on many levels. The attempt is being made, and usually successfully, to change the definition of anti-Semitism. Yes. As, as you and I both know, it sounds like we're about the same age. I made I'm a few years older than you, I think. I don't believe but, it. But, you know, we grew up, anti-Semitism is bigotry. Yes. It's prejudice or hostility against Jewish people. It's a very clear, simple definition of a disturbing form of bigotry. We know there's many types of bigotry. It's all of them are offensive and disturbing, and this is one of them. It's a very clear definition. This is still the de- de- dictionary definition. If you look on the Google definition or Merriam-Webster or dictionary.com, that's the definition of anti-Semitism. But as you can see, by that definition, criticizing a foreign country over human rights violations is not bigotry. It's not anti-Semitism, even though Israel partisans have tried to claim that all along. From the very beginning, that claim was made, but it, it doesn't hold water. So what has happened is there's been an effort to rewrite the definition of anti-Semitism to include criticisms of Israel as supposedly anti-Semitism. This has been going on for many years. I, I looked into this a few years ago because it had this had happened at the U.S. State Department. It was happening in state governments. It was happening on U.S. campuses. So I looked into the genesis, where this new definition came from, Uh how it was procured, and I discovered that the formulation that now has made its way through the years into this executive order was first proposed by an Israeli minister, Datan Sharansky, in 2004. He created the formulation that then was taken up by a European group, the European Monitoring Center, for xenophobia and racism, uh, used his formulation to create a working definition of anti-Semitism that included certain statements about about Israel. That working definition was then adopted by Hannah Rosenthal at the U.S. State Department. Uh, it, the State Department had a link to the EUMC definition right on the State Department website. You know, I noticed this several years ago when I wrote my article. I linked to that. But then the EUMC dropped that working definition quietly. And so what did the U.S. State Department do? They didn't drop it. They just dropped the link to it. Yeah. Then, um, then in 2010, we have a new anti-Semitism envoy, and I'll be happy to give you the background of how that position was even created. Um, yeah. Elon Carr... So then he quietly changed the U.S. State Department definition from the EUMC definition to the IHRA definition, another one of these entities that's been working to change the definition of anti-Semitism. So there's a whole backstory to the uh, to the this recent development that 
nobody else has written about. A number of people have noted that, that it's using uh, this more recent definition of anti-Semitism, including its examples, which focus on Israel. But they don't seem to know or be willing to divulge the fact that the that that definition was preceded, was built on, as the State Department even says, was built on this earlier definition, and that that de- definition was formulated by an Israeli minister in 2004. Absolutely amazing. None of these things spring from nowhere. You know, it's all tied together somehow or another. And if you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. We're talking with Allison Weir, executive director of If Americans Knew. We're talking about the uh, newly surfaced Trump executive order on anti-Semitism, which combats criticism of Israel. They couldn't get it through uh, legislatively, so the uh, dictator wannabe uh, just created an executive order. And I think it's, it's fascinating how you know, the genesis of this thing, you know, as, as, a, as a kid growing up uh, in America in the 50s and 60s, of course, I was always proud to be Jewish and proud to be an American. I was not an Israeli. I mean, I always understood that, you know, Israel was another country uh, and that, uh, you know, it is a, a, a homeland for the Jews in Palestine. It was how it was created back in 1917. Uh, but to, it's, it's kind of clever, actually, to equate any criticism whatsoever of any policy that the current government of the state of Israel does as anti-Semitism, that's that's pretty clever, and it's really new, and it's really different. And I can imagine (laughs) in Congress that, you know, because, well, as in, in the recent election in the United Kingdom showed, people don't want to be seen as anti semitic you know, in a country like, I mean, we have a long tradition in the UK and in the United States that, you know, we reject anti-Semitism. That's what other people do. Nobody wants to be seen as that. So to uh, dress this, uh, you know, you can't criticize Israel uh, in the, uh, you know, a costume of, well, if you don't support uh, this uh uh, legislation, then you are anti-Semitic. Well, that's pretty effective because nobody wants to be seen as anti-Semitic. And yet, and I, I find it fascinating that I've actually had, and I'm sure you're not surprised at this, I've had people call me because I have some criticisms of the state of Israel, really because I'm Jewish, because as of our foundation we were taught to care very much about justice, and we've been on historically on the front lines against racism. So guess what? I criticize that injustice and racism wherever it is, including the state of Israel. And to equate that, uh, you know, and calling me a self-hater, people have called me a self-hater. That's an absolutely amazing transformation, and the power of language is is indeed very powerful, and uh, it just... That's right. <laughs> yes, and... Uh, Go ahead. It, it is, as you say, just the accusation, The ep- really it's an epithet yes. of being called an anti-Semite, has silenced many people, many people, right. just because we don't like to be called nasty names, will not speak about Palestine. They'll speak about lots of other issues that are hugely important, and it's very good that they're doing that. 
But as a result of this silencing, the oppression of Palestinians has continued decade yes. after decade, and it's grown. Because so many people who I, I feel are good, conscientious people, who oppose oppression and are willing to speak out and actively work against oppression, have been have failed to speak out on this one because of that nasty accusation. Right. But now, in, in recent years, I've been working on this now for about 19 years, mm. and in recent years, among progressives, finally, I think the majority do support Palestinian human rights. Now that more people have learned about what's actually going on there, um, there has been a, a major, I, I think there's been a sea change in the 19 years that has gone on now among progressives. So more people are speaking out about it, including on campuses and elsewhere in the Jewish community and in the Christian community, are supporting Palestinian human rights. Yes. So therefore, this accusation has begun to be, more and more people are seeing that it's just, it's crying wolf, that a, a serious action is, is being changed to mean something that people really should do. So changing the meaning is, is very damaging on many levels. So because, the, because that's been occurring, now they are trying to, you know, the Israel partisans in the United States and in Israel, of course, mm -hmm. are pushing this further. So now we have this codification in U.S. law of this executive order. And the, there has been a lot of legislation against boycotting that, that has passed. So... You know, some of what you just said, if you said that on a campus now, or at least once the executive take, order takes effect, I believe it's in 100 days or something that officially takes effect, uh. that would be considered, quote, anti-Semitism. The, the university or college where you spoke could find guilty of tolerating anti-Semitism and therefore lose the federal funding that undergirds most of the higher education today. It, something like 78 billion federal dollars go to colleges and universities. It's an extremely significant factor in higher education. So now, under this, uh, this new executive order, and would have been under the legislation if and when that ever passes, under Title IX of the 1964, or actually is it Title I think it's Title IX, under the 1964 Civil Rights Bill, this would be prohibited, and the, they would withdraw federal funding to those, that college and university where you said a very, made a very, made very reasonable statement. And as we know, hmm. administrations are very careful with, you know, they're, they're not known for their daring on behalf of human rights. So if there's the least likelihood that they would re lose this essential funding, they will shut down courses and events and teaching and research into the Palestinian issue because of this executive order that, that would cause the federal government potentially to stop funding their campus. It's, it has really quite a bit of significance. And certainly, uh, certainly it impinges both on a right, right of free speech, and on academic freedom. Another thing that most Americans believe strongly in is academic freedom, the importance oh, true. of our, having our universities and colleges free to study and, and research a variety of things. 
Yeah, to understand what it is and to teach actual history. And as regular listeners will know, I I love looking into history to find out what really happened because, you know, <laughs> it, it, the way what I consider to be sometimes illegitimate power or nasty power relies on the erasure of actual history. So that in this case, I mean, I understand. I I don't know that much about the founding of, of Israel, you know, with the Balfour Declaration in 1917 and then the, uh, uh, what do they call it, the Akbar? Or the, uh, I can't think Nakba. of... What? The Nakba. Nak- the Nakba. Nakba, yes. That's the, uh, well, that happened in 1948 where, what, 750,000 Palestinians were ejected or, or left Israel either willingly or perhaps, I don't know. But uh, well, the the evidence is that they were forcibly expelled under a plan by the um, what became the, the Israeli government, the Israeli forces. There's quite a bit of yeah, that's, that's excellent history. research now into what how Israel was actually founded. Some of the first research, not surprisingly, was by Palestinian historians, Palestinian mm-hmm. historians who have long documented. Uh, that they didn't just voluntarily leave their homes and right. farms and businesses, you know, millions and millions of dollars worth of property and and uh, both land and property. They didn't just willingly leave those to Israel. Plus, Israel, it's not finders keepers. You, you don't get to just <laughs> take that. But that's what was done. So Palestinian and other historians had documented that. But they were largely ignored, you know, the usual reasons, but then some excellent Israeli historians when they went into the Israeli archives and discovered that those Palestinian historians were right. One of the best at that was Ilan Pape, an Israeli historian who wrote a book called The Ethnic Cleansing of Palestine, because he found his research, and his books are excellent there, you know, they're, they're full of footnotes, you can look at his Sources. And he found from the Israeli archives themselves, not only had Israel ethnically cleansed the, the land, not totally, 20% mm-hmm. of the population of Israel are still Palestinians, but, you know, had largely had made an attempt to fully uh, ethnically cleanse the land, and that this had been, other historians found this in Israel also. The only debate was whether, was this a plan? Or just a happy result. Uh, Elon Pape and others showed it was a plan. There was a plan D, the Dalet plan, to do just what, what happened. So the, the founding of Israel really was based on violence. And, and of, of course, once is... again, a historian saying that, for example, if a student group wanted to bring Elon Pape to speak, as they did at UC Berkeley several years ago, he's an excellent, knowledgeable speaker. If they tried to bring him to speak now, and he said that about the founding of Israel, and if he said, you know, Israel had no right to ethnically cleanse the land, that would, under this new executive order, be anti-Semitism, and UC Berkeley would be at risk of the federal funding being taken away from it. The research grants, the scholarships, the loans, the various ways that the federal government supports higher, higher education would be taken away. Boy, 
it, it just, you know, and I know that there, the other side would say, well, the other Arab nations could have picked up the slack, and they didn't do that, and they, they put pressure on the state of Israel to uh, take care of them. Well, Go ahead. Let's look at that. Let's look at that. Suppose sure. we, um, suppose Trump were, the, were a Democratic president, mm-hmm. decided they wanted to get rid of, um, you know, all the Native Americans who lived here. But mm-hmm. We just didn't want them here anymore. Mm-hmm. And therefore, we were going to uh, expel them to Mexico, where there are a lot of, you know, indigenous, indigenous. people. Sure. Um, and then we would say, well, it's not our fault. Right. It's Mexicans. Mexico, they're, they're, they didn't, they're not just happily taking them in. Right. We're blaming Mexico I for know. our expulsion. I know. I'm it glad- really doesn't hold water. It's a nonsensical article, yeah. argument. But... Most of most of the arguments Israel partisans make are not logical when you actually know the facts. But given the reality that most Americans don't know the facts, yes. they get away with these fallacious arguments. And under this and under the, the pressure of, you know, not wanting to look anti Semitic, that will be a chilling effect on free speech. And anyone who has ever known me in personal or political life knows I'm a vociferous First Amendment defender. I served on the board of the ACLU here in the state of New Hampshire. Perhaps not everyone understands that the reason we have a constitutional amendment guaranteeing freedom of speech is to protect what many might consider to be offensive speech. Non-offensive speech doesn't need protecting. It's only what some consider offensive speech. There's nothing more basic to being an American citizen than treasuring and protecting our rights as Americans. Now, the state of Israel, a separate and distinct nation, has been fighting, obviously, against the growing international and American movement for Palestinian rights and for boycott, divest, and sanction. But at the essence of being an American, we've always... I mean, you talk about conservatism. This is the essence of conservatism, our right to speak freely without fear of prosecution or persecution. And... There's there's a group called Jewish Currents, which said opposing anti-Semitism is a core value of progressivism. I'll repeat that. As a progressive, as a liberal, I know this is true. Opposing anti-Semitism is a core value of progressivism. So it's troubling, end of quote. It's troubling that we're also seeing accusations of anti-Semitism. Oh, no, this is continuing their quote. We're also uh, seeing accusations of anti-Semitism used as a cynical political weapon against progressives. Well, I think that's, you know, an, an interesting yes. uh, uh, take on it. Your reaction? That is exactly what's going on. Uh, for Again, for a number of years, this isn't new, sadly. You know, much of what you and I are discussing today is not new. It, it goes back quite a ways. I've written a book about the her- early years of the pro-Israel lobby in the United States. So. Huh. You know, I, I've looked into this intensively, and so. But the um, in terms of recent years, this quote "new anti-Semitism." Hmm. You know, this has been talked about now for a number of years. The quote "new anti-Semitism" is basically criticism of Israel, and most of that has come from the left and from liberals and from progressives. Yes. There have been conservatives and Republicans who have a who have opposed Israel. Paul Finley and Charles Percy and even Patrick Buchanan. So there have been conservatives and liberals that, that have 
synesthetic visual. But most, you know, especially in recent years, those doing it most often and most specifically have been liberals and progressives. Mm-hmm. So this has been tab- labeled as, quote, the new anti-Semitism. No, it's not new anti-Semitism. It's people speaking out for principled reasons, um, opposing the mistreatment of an indigenous population in Israel. It's, it's people criticizing a foreign country that has been found guilty of human rights violations from its earliest years. I think many people like to think that it's just the Netanyahu administration that's doing this. Right, right. He's been increasing yeah. and doing things more openly and more blatantly, just as Sharon did, another right-wing Israeli leader. Mm-hmm. But the, quote, liberal Israeli leaders were also doing it. This was being done by Ben-Gurion in the earliest years, so it's not new. But what's new is that most of us didn't know about this, weren't aware of it. Um, before the Internet, most of this information was not available to us. Very few of us had gone over to the region. Those who did go over to the region were on taken on special tours, usually. Yes, yes. Given the Israeli propaganda when they got there and didn't learn what had actually gone on for many, many years. Well, it's so much more... attempt to target progressives yes. as, quote, the, the anti-Semite right. is reprehensible, but this is what's going on, and this is what the executive order is largely focused on. Focusing on progressives, calling us anti-Semitic, that really uh, uh, gets to me when people call us. We have been, we progressives, we liberals have been in the front lines of anti-racism, anti, uh, sem- you know, against anti-Semitism. It's just part of our identity. Huh. And for, uh, for th- yes, I think so, too. I think, you know, anybody talking to a progressive or liberal would find that out. It's, a, a lot of this information is easily available if we would just talk to, to one another more than we do and yeah. get all of our information through the, the U.S. mainstream media most often. Yeah, really. But, you know, to be honest, once again, while we talk about the political aspect of this, what Trump's executive order did was in many ways adopt the same types of behavior and language that had gone on under Barack Obama, under Democrats. So sadly, we're seeing that politicians from both sides of the political spectrum, many of them have gone along with this. And that the uh, the yeah. person who's really considered the brainchild behind Trump's executive order, Kenneth Marcus, has already been doing these, has already been operating under that same kind of thinking and analysis as he's been in the um, the civil rights department of the U.S. government and the education department. He's already been implementing some of this and investigating incidents on college campuses Mm -hmm. in which Palestinian activism is being called, quote, anti-Semitism, and uh, in which he's using the power of the federal government to investigate it. So it's not new under Trump. This went on under Obama also. And a number of articles have noted that. That's true, yeah. People... You know, t- t- some people think, well, we just get rid of Trump and everything's hunky-dory. No, <laughs> not the case. That's right. This has been going That's on right. 
for a long time. For those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is called Keeping Democracy Alive. It's a group effort, folks. We need you. And our guest today is Allison uh, Weir, uh, who's written uh, a new article called Trump Executive Order on Anti-Semitism Combats Criticism of Israel. And one of the things we've talked about a little bit is is BDS, Boycott, Divest, Sanctions. It's not all that well-known, except in Israel, where I think it is pretty well-known. Uh, and, you know, one of the foundations of America has always been that, unlike other countries, what debate is welcome. BDS, Boycott, Divest, and Sanction, is a highly charged issue. It's not just on campuses. Often there, uh, what is this BDS that this executive order specifically targets? And and who, who would be, you know, behind clamping down on BDS, uh, organizing and, and talk? BDS is... Um the acronym for Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions Against Israel. It's an international nonviolent movement to uh, try to pressure the Israeli government to stop its violent oppression of Palestinians, its attacks on Gaza, its attacks on the West Bank, its... um, it's oppression of Palestinians living within the state of Israel itself. There's something like 60-some laws in, in Israel that violate the rights of non-Jewish residents of supposedly citizens of the country. Right. So it's a, a financial, using financial power mm-hmm. to try to pressure an organization to stop doing wrong. It's basically what it is. And it's... Um, the, it, it operates as you, if you go to the bdsmovement.net uh, website, you'll mm-hmm. see that basically what it says, it, it operates under the principle that Palestinians are deserve the same equal rights that everyone else does. That's the basic principle of BDS. Palestinians deserve the same human rights as all other human beings deserve. Imagine and that. I think most of us would would agree with that statement. Some would not. There's been such a demonization of Palestinians, and especially right-wing talk radio, and uh, but the left does it more subtly, so that many people who are getting their information not independently, they're getting it from Fox News or from Sean Hannity or from right. right-wing pro-Israel radio, have the impression that really all Palestinians are terrorists, right. and that they are killing Israelis in huge numbers. Right. In reality, Palestinians are just a population, men, women, and children, living under occupation. Yes. And if you go to, we have a website where we're actually documenting the people killed in this conflict, all the Israelis and all the Palestinians. It's our view that all deaths are tragic, Yes. from both of those populations, from other populations around the world. Mm-hmm. So we have a, a website called the Time Israel-Palestine Timeline. And when you look at that, people are shocked to, to discover that it is Palestinian men, women, and children, being killed week after week, month after month, year after year, in large numbers. And that, fortunately, Israelis are very rarely killed. So many people have an impression of what's going on in the region that is the reverse of reality because of the flawed media coverage yes. they're getting on. Well, because everybody is 
kind of understandably, you know, uh, hesitant to be seen as anti-Semitic because it seems like you know, the 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 tide seems to be uh, moving in that direction. That uh, to criticize Israel means you're anti-Semitic, which is of course absolute nonsense. I mean, I you know as I and, um, go ahead as I well even this the recent codification of that putting this into law yes is extremely significant. But it is important to be aware that this has gone on from the earliest days of Zionism. And we need to define Zionism because yes. most people, including myself, would not have known what that is. Certainly, if somebody had asked me 20 years ago, what do I think of Zionism? I probably would, said, would have said something like, you know, what is that? I think I've heard of it. What is it? Right. And uh, it's a political ideology and a political movement that was a, a modern non-religious movement to create a Jewish state on land that was 95% non-Jewish mm-hmm. in the late 1800s. Mm-hmm. So this political movement, from the beginning, intentionally tried to conflate Zionism with Judaism. Um, Louis Brandeis, who was a leader of the oh, Zionist wonderful movement, guy. Mm-hmm. intentionally did that. If you read his biographies of him, his biographers state that that was some of his brilliance, that in his speaking, he would sort of use the wording that would make it appear that, oh, being Jewish, of course you're just Zionist. He would conflate the two of them. And he needed to do that because for many decades, Jewish Americans did not support Zionism. Um, Most of them just ignored it. They said, we're Americans. People in Britain said we're British. You know, they were not eager to to go over to the Middle East and live live somewhere. This was, they they thought that correctly that their country was the United States or England yes. or France or wherever yes. they were living. Yes. They they were not embracing Zionism. Um, there was the American Jewish the the Jewish Council for um, for Judaism. I think it was named. I always get these names all mixed up. Um, actively opposed Zionism. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. You know, but but when Israel was founded, it then adopted Jewish symbols. So it intentionally conflated yes. being Jewish with being a supporter of Israel. On the Israeli flag is the, the Star of David. When there are, are jets bombing Gaza, yeah. they are wearing the, you know, they bear the insignia of the Star of David. Mm-hmm. So they are... In they, you know, Israel states that it is holding the land for world Jewry. So it is Israel and Israel partisans that are equating unfairly, but are making other people believe that all Jews are connected to Israel. Yeah, this that's is, you know extremely destructive and dangerous and unfair. But that's been going on for many, many decades. And certainly, one can't blame the rise in anti-Semitism entirely on people across the world equating Israel with Jewishness because people across the world are, many people, including myself, are upset with uh, uh, jets attacking uh, Gaza with Jewish stars on there. I That bothers me. I am Jewish, but I 
they're not doing that in my name, I'll tell you. They're not. And this recently, there's that nation-state law, which really exacerbates things. And when we're talking about here, this new executive order, if we were to criticize that new nation-state law, we it's possible we could be charged with uh, violating the executive order. That's right. That's right. And also, if, if you tried to go to Israel, and if you have publicly supported right. the DS, which I'm guessing you have not yet done, but no. if you had, then then you would potentially be denied entry yes. to Israel for yeah. that reason, for that political reason. And and I, so, cho- I choose to be in America because we have freedom here. I like freedom. I love freedom. That's, <laughs> you know, and this, that's right. We are told somewhere in the Bible, I'm not sure where, that we as Jews are to be citizens of where we are. And I try to be that. One of the uh, the real frightening aspects of what's going on is that uh, by defining Jews as a nation, that kind of makes us the other. And you know, one of the uh, newly vitalized reasons to be uh, uh, anti-Semitic is that well, Jews are blamed for bringing in immigrant invaders to the United States. Now, it's certainly true that as Jews who ourselves face discrimination as immigrants uh, and refugees in the past. Many of us are indeed at the forefront of immigrant rights, and proudly so, standing up to the blatant racism espoused by President Trump, specifically against refugees from Central America, people who are fleeing violent gangs and government repression. America used to be a beacon of hope for such people, and we Jews, of course, defend immigrant rights. What about using that you know, that, that uh, we, the Jewish people, are bringing in invaders. That's, that's an interesting aspect of it as well. Well, it's um, one of the problems, of course, is that, as you just said, you and many other Jewish Americans and a number of Jewish groups, specifically you know, with the name being Jewish, have opposed these actions. Yes. But many people don't know that uh-huh. because the, the mainstream groups, the APAC, the ADL, oh, yes. the Jewish World Congress, um, the Zionist Organization of America, uh, the Simon Wiesenthal Center, the, the powerful, large, establishment Jewish groups, almost all of them are supporting it and have spoken out in favor of it. Wow. When Trump signed the order, he was Alan Dershowitz, the Harvard professor who, mm. as you recall, also defended Epstein, mm-hmm. um, was there saying this was the most important step against anti-Semitism in 2,000 years. And that was said by, Har- by Harvard, former Harvard professor Alan Dershowitz at the signing ceremony. So people are seeing that, and they don't know about you and about the many others, and including many people in Israel yes. who are opposing these actions. And therefore, you know, that's, that's causing hostility. Yes. Unfortunately, that is being too often attributed to a whole group rather than just those who are guilty of it. And again, look, you know, again, I try to understand things by seeing it through the eyes of someone I may disagree with, but trying to understand how they're seeing something. I think that's the only way right. we, can, we can address them is if we understand what they see. So some people mm-hmm. do see Jewish individuals and groups at the forefront of supporting immigrant rights. Yes. And if in the U.S., but if that individual is aware that those same Jewish organizations are opposing immigrant 
rights in Israel, and no. in fact are specifically in favor of expelling the, the indigenous inhabitants, then that is a major hypocritical stance, and again increases hostility to that group, and especially when that group, you know, let's take the World Jewish Congress, mm-hmm. its title and its actions suggest that Jews that it's representing Jews all over the world, which it's not. No. But that's what it, the way it can appear to someone who doesn't have the time or the ability to research things more carefully. So again, we see that this Zionist movement is is extremely destructive on so many levels, and yet most people couldn't even define Zionist or Zionism. They heard me say that word, they would think, "Oh, that's some anti, you know, anti-Semitic." word or you know they would have no idea what it even meant absolutely uh it, it's terrifying it really is it's no exaggeration this is uh you know i've always felt completely safe here and at home here and uh in other you know we're supposed to be citizens of where we are and of course there were the attacks in uh in france not that long ago one of the the fact is that you know defining jews as a nation you know, it could make some people say, well, Israel is your nation. What the heck are you doing here in America? Go to Israel. And that's interesting that uh, after the anti-Jewish attack in France, Israel's Netanyahu called on all Jews to move to Israel. He actually did that. The national director of the Anti-Defamation League, Abe Foxman, stated that Jewish departure from Europe would be, quote, a posthumous victory for Hitler and will fulfill his Judenrein vision, end of quote. His, Hitler's initial vision was to deport all Jewish people to a Judenrein, a nation of its own, but found, well, it was too difficult, so he fashioned another solution. <clears throat> what about uh, conflating being Jewish with being a nation? Uh, I, I just... Well, that's... Um... That's the that's that's the problem. That's the the quintessential problem with Israel. Is that's how it's how it's doing it. I read a, a book a number of years ago, something like two hundred years of Judaism in the United States. And in that book, and the author was pro-Israel. So uh-huh. very, that was very clear. But uh, it was a rabbi, I believe. I can't remember his name right now. But in this book. He said that really the interpretation of what it means to be Jewish has gone back and forth between a peoplehood, a chosen people, mm. uh, and he, the term he used was a peoplehood, or a religious spiritual belief. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I know there have been debates within the Jewish community what it really means to be Jewish. Yes. You know, does it mean that you believe in God, you observe commandments that you believe were handed down, etc.? Or does it mean that you were born into this ethnicity? And Israel has adopted the latter. So Israel, if you went to, to Israel as a, a Jewish American, they wouldn't ask your views on religion or whether you observe the Sabbath or any of those things. They would just ask, who is your mother? Who is your grandmother? Who is your great-grandmother? So Israel itself is embodying a definition of, of Jewishness that many Jewish Americans would not agree with. No. And that's what they're doing. And that's one of the reasons from the beginning that people either ignored it or actively opposed it, because they knew, well, then then we'll be considered the other. Yes, the other. Then people will think, well, the the United States isn't our country. 
it's Israel. Alfred Lilienthal, a Jewish-American who was very actively opposed to Zionism and wrote excellent books on it, had an article in the, in the Reader's Digest, I think it was titled, Israel's flag is not mine. You know, his flag mm-hmm. was the United States of America. Absolutely. But the Zionist movement was trying to make people think and trying to convince Jews and non-Jews that the real flag for Jews was the Israeli flag, which was nonsense. Absolutely. But this was their strategy from the, from the earliest years. And, of course, that's very offensive to me, I must say, because we are Americans. We are Jewish Americans. And we are Americans. And, and, you know, dual citizenship, dual loyalty. And now, you know, Trump has fanned the flames of questioning loyalty, you know, by, by defining anti-Semitism this way uh, that, you know, really increases the likelihood that people will accuse us, if we're not, you know, total Zionists, uh, of being, uh, you know, a, a dual loyalty. I find it amazing. That's right. That would that when, Tr- when Trump introduced troubling, you know, it's and just to maybe move to a more positive note. Sure, is that m- many people are understanding this? Fortunately, again, I think largely because of the internet and people are getting more information. So I think the the growing support for Palestinian rights and the fact that many Jewish groups and, and organizations support those rights, that awareness is also growing. So, you know, it's sort of one step forward, one step back. It's hard to know where right. we're ending up. But overall, overall, I think that the trajectory is in a positive one. That's why they have to take these extreme steps, yeah. these blatant steps of things that before were done behind the scenes more, because the trajectory, I think, is in a positive direction. And in terms of the amount of, as you say, there is... A, there is what what is real anti-Semitism oh, yes. exists. Oh, yes. Real racism exists. Yes. Um, but it's hard to. It's. I, I've been wanting at some point. I'm trying to research how much of it there actually is, compared to how much of it is actually connected in some way to Israel. Oh, yeah. The ADL, which is very pro-Israel, yes. you know, it's it's one of its two main missions. It it states openly its advocacy sure. for Israel. Uh-huh. And it considers uh, support for Palestinian rights. And quite often, the, those actions are are labeled anti-Semitic, according to the ADL. So it doesn't doesn't release its spreadsheets of what these supposedly rise in anti-Semitism incidents actually consist of. You know, how often has it been directly related to Israel? Secondly, how often are there minor silly incidents in a junior high, you know, graffiti where all sorts of nonsense is written? Is that really a significant incident? So a number of groups, including some Jewish groups, yes. have, have raised real questions about the ADL constantly saying there's a rise in anti-Semitism. Yeah, it fans the flames. Uh, you know, some years ago, my background happens to be Presbyterian. Mm-hmm. Some years ago, there was a, a threat it was buried in the media by a man saying he was going to burn down Presbyterian churches around the country. Now, if that threat had been made against synagogues, it would have been front-page front news in the New York Times. Hmm. But this threat against Presbyterian churches was buried. Most people didn't even hear about it. So, mm-hmm. you know, my hope is that the anti-Semitism, an offensive, deeply disturbing, deeply wrong yes. viewpoint, 
is not growing. I think um, I think it will be taken. I, I don't on. know if it's growing or not, but I do know that growing awareness of yes. Israeli oppression is growing, and, and aw- that might be what they're measuring. And awareness of what Trump is doing is important as well. It amazed me when he actually announced the executive order to the Israeli American Council. Uh, he said, quote, many Jewish Americans do not love Israel enough. And in speaking directly to the group, he said, I know you very well. You're brutal killers, not nice people at all. That's Trump putting, painting a picture of, of Jewish Americans. It's amazing. And J Street, which is pro-Israel, which is moderate, said the president of the United States is incapable of addressing Jewish audiences without dipping into the deep well of anti-Semitic tropes that shape his world view. Uh, and Con- uh, Chicago Rabbi Hara Persson, chief executive of the Central Conference of American Rabbis, said not to overdramatize it, but this feels dangerous. She said, I've heard people say this feels like the first step toward us wearing yellow stars. And they're talking about Trump himself, the you know, a guy who has an executive order that, that is titled itself Combating Anti-Semitism. He's fanning the flames himself. So there, give us more things people can do, what we could concern people can do now and going forward. Well, I think educate yourself and others about what's actually going on in Israel-Palestine. Yes. Uh, I would direct people to our website, ifamericansnew.org, yes. and our news blog, where we post things pretty much every day on this issue. Uh, my book, Against Our Better Judgment, is available on Amazon. Happily, a, a bestseller on Amazon, and we've sold over well over thirty thousand copies. So, oh, nice. I hope you'll read that book and share the information with others, and uh, oppose what's going on actively. Don't be afraid to be called anti-Semitic. It's a nasty, malicious, unfair accusation. Yes. Don't let people get away with that. Speak right. out. Yes. Educate others. Tell your congressional representatives. Very important. To oppose what's going on. There's a bill in Congress right now to protect Palestinian children ah. from the uh, violence that the Israeli government also often can, uh, perpetrates against them, imprisoning hundreds of Palestinian children, yeah. interrogating them extremely harshly. This bill by Betty McCollum of Minnesota Betty has McCollum. only 23, only 23 co-sponsors. Please ask your representatives to co-sponsor that bill. And let's ask these presidential candidates yes. to speak out on this issue, and maybe some of the senators could sponsor such a bill in the Senate as well. That would I be. Think these are all the things we, we should and could do. Well, Martin Luther King, I'm not sure if he made it up, but he said something like, uh, the arc of history bends toward justice. I think he's right. We have to help make it bend that way. Allison Weir, thank you so much. Very, very informative. And whether we agree or disagree on this issue, you know, about Zionism and and uh, and Palestinian rights, it's the right to speak, the right to speak, the right to dissent. That's what we're talking about defending here. Thank you so much for being with us exactly. on Keeping Democracy Alive. Thank you. Thank you for having me, and I agree. It's just we all need to talk openly and honestly and speak to one another, and we all want the best for the world and for our nation and for our children. So let's, let's work together to make that happen. Amen. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. A public service announcement. No, y'all.